0: Okay, hello, and welcome to the latest episode of Remote Possibilities. I'm Kevin Hogan, and with me today, I'm pleased to have Ethan Fieldman. Ethan is the CEO of Edge, which is a free digital resource that helps fill the education gap created by COVID-19. Hoping that over the course of this conversation, Ethan, we could get some practical tips to prevent cheating, which is one angle of this that we had yet to discuss. Uh, on this show uh, and is kind of intriguing. And as a parent, I'm also concerned about those things. Uh, And we can also just discuss the other aspects of low cost resources in a remote setup that I'm hopeful will remain after the pandemic and we can continue to solve some of these, these digital equity issues that we've seen come in such sharp relief this year. So Ethan, thanks for joining me today. My pleasure. Maybe we can start off and talk about uh study edge and and your company and the role that it had before the madness starts and talk a little bit about uh your pivot into this new world we're in
1: sure yeah happy to um well we're we're a company that's focused on improving outcomes in stem so retention graduation career readiness and we work with middle schools high schools and colleges as well all the way from individual students and parents teachers, faculty members, schools, school districts, universities, and state governments. So we actually have contracts with everyone in between. And uh, we, we try to solve problems. We try to work as a, a tech, half tech, half content company that really brings some solutions to the table. And we've been doing that for for about for more than ten years now. And um, a lot of people haven't heard of us because we have no, no sales team, no marketing team, no PR team, really. We just, uh, uh, up until recently, we really weren't even on the radar because with COVID, we want to make sure people can find us because we have a lot of great free resources for people. But before that, we really just work with those that, that contact us, like I said, from individual students all the way up to, to state governments. So whether that's individual bite-sized videos for individual concepts that are aligned to state standards or aligned to a university professor's course, or whether we're doing online tutoring platforms, uh, like a Zoom, but more for tutoring, we offer for over 500 universities. Um, just a lot of different tools that people can use for, for online education.
0: But, and they were always focused specifically on
1: a remote dynamic. Correct. We have a, a training facility in Gainesville, Florida, where we're based, which is a home of the University of Florida. For, for people who don't know, don't know Gainesville, we're about two hours north of Orlando. And uh, we have we have students that come in, college students that come in and uh, into classrooms. We learn how to teach the material, how to provide tutoring and such to college students, and then and high school students as well. And then we film all these videos in these six TV studios that we have with our full-time staff. So we have full-time instructors and full-time tech folks. And, uh, and yeah, so we were very focused on online education before uh, the pandemic. Yeah, e- before, before it was cool. That's right. Before it was cool. That's right. <laughs> so it was really kind of a,
0: what I recall as a, a flipped classroom model where these resources, uh, talk a little bit about how yeah. you would integrate these resources into uh, the
1: day-to-day yeah, so, so Flip Classroom is a great example of what we do. Having, look, teachers will go they'll get Khan Academy videos or other videos online. The problem is they don't align to what they're teaching. Yeah. So they might not be exactly the same notation, the same concepts. And then students think they're dumb because they don't get something, but it's not because they don't they're dumb it's because it wasn't covered in class it's a little different right yeah or uh you know they're not that exciting the, the stuff online is not coherent it's not exciting it's not fun it's not engaging it doesn't actually make students want to want to you know enjoy online learning right and so you know school is boring for a lot of students and so that's what we're, what we're what we work against we have fun exciting instructors we keep the instructors on camera the whole time on videos we're doing videos we use real life examples we update we make it fresh so that's really what what we're what we're focused on and that could be flipped so classroom or tutoring or anything you think of as far as like your second instructor basically, your second teacher. Um, again, flip classroom substitute teachers, when there's a sub in class, it's great to have a coherent curriculum or supplemental uh, piece that goes along with it. So any of those individual pieces that we can just work with faculty and work with, with, um, with teachers and institutions to to help fill some of those gaps and help them out with their, with their challenges.
0: Talk a little bit about uh, the spring, I assume. Um, things accelerated <laughs> yes. both in scale and uh, in need. Um, many of the companies I've spoken to, the CEOs have said, you know, we, we went from an ed tech company to a customer service company. All we were doing was trying to assist our, our customers in any way we can, even if it wasn't in their kind of primary mode of what they provide, but if just someone needed something would uh, say something. Talk a little bit about your experiences there.
1: Yeah, so we were uniquely positioned already for this, uh, Just because of of how we operate, what we build. So um, for example, we have state contracts with state governments where we have hundreds of thousands of students that, you know, are watching 50,000 videos a day. And and they've got all this content when they go home at night, they've got different instructors they can choose from in high school mathematics. So some are more in depth, some are more, uh, more uh, review. And so we really set up to deal with many, many students. I and mean, we have over a million students as it is. So it wasn't a, a matter of changing what we do. What it was is that we had a lot more school districts calling, a lot more schools calling, a lot more, a lot more teachers calling to get set up. And more specifically, a lot of the large school districts that we work with wanted to integrate what we have much, much quicker into their learning management systems, right? So bringing things together. If you're using Canvas or Schoology or whatever it is, it was more making it a cohesive resource, maybe taking a supplement, making it more of a core primary curriculum, things like that. That's where what we really saw was a lot of work to take what we have and just integrate it into what they're doing, make it a little bit simpler. We did a lot more professional development, which we do at no cost, um, a lot more, you know, webinars of any kind, videos, anything we could do to help. So I understand what they're saying about customer service. For us, it was more of just launching people faster. I mean, that, there was a major change in what we had to do in a good way, which is we had to figure out better ways to onboard more, new users faster um, so for example we used to do what on our on our, on our uh, higher ed side we used to do one-on-one individual calls with the learning center on campus or the associate provost whoever it was we said you know we can't we can't support one-on-one there's just too many too many calls coming in so we just had um, we just set up times and let people book and we did two or three or five or ten at the same time but other than that honestly we we're lucky enough that we were um, not because we saw this coming or we we're smart enough to see the future right. but um, but we our stuff is built for scale like everything we do is meant to be low cost And for scale and so it wasn't as big of a challenge for us as for most.
0: Now uh, during the course of the spring and having a company that's a veteran in remote learning, were there any surprises, were there any innovations that you saw where you're like huh we should have been doing that years ago? Uh, It was a surprise in terms of the final adoption of maybe like for instance teachers who may have been resistant to the idea of using remote learning, having to now use it, become adept more quickly than they thought. Just-
1: yeah, look, people had to, people had to do the online stuff that they'd all been pushing off for a long time. You know, Everybody said at some point we'll have to figure this out or figure out Zoom or you know, figure out Microsoft Teams and it just pushed people to do things that were gonna take six months to do them in one month or things they mm-hmm. had for two years from now. Like I said, the, the learning management system integration that we've been doing all across the country now from California to Florida to everywhere, has been something that everybody had on our roadmap. They're like, well, we'll do this next year, we'll do this next year. And then everybody called saying, we need it yesterday. Um, So I think it just moved the world forward in terms of online education. Now, to be clear, I'm not saying that online education is better than in-person. In fact, I'm not saying that, in fact, I'm one of these people who actually thinks the opposite. What we do is we actually try to mimic the in-person experience as much as possible with online. We we have instructors on video who look like real teachers. We don't want the videos that are online right now because we don't think they're very good. but at the same time, like there were things that needed to happen, there were things that needed to come together. Look, in Mississippi, there's over three. It was three hundred thousand devices were purchased by the state and districts. Three hundred thousand computers. Were, were purchased for students to go one-to-one. That needed to happen. We do a lot of work with the State, with the state Department of Education in Mississippi, and they've, their scores are going up in math and doing a great job, but nobody wanted to put the money towards getting these kids' devices. So when they go home at night, right, and they're using a five-year-old, six-year-old cell phone that's a hand-me-down from their, from their brother or sister, we support that. We'll support apps on Android devices, $50 Android devices, going back six or seven years. But most things that most you know, publishers or others uh, not that we're exactly a publisher, but most, most learning science companies like us and others, they're not going to go back that far. Mm. So you've got all kinds of issues with devices and bandwidth and all those things. And I am very happy to see that um, that accessibility and, and other things that, that weren't being focused on. I mean, you have students with disabilities that stuff's not optimized for them online, like all these things that we knew were problems we dealt with every day, you know, challenges of inequity, especially like those are you know, some of those are making some progress. So I think there is a silver lining here. I, I like to focus on the silver lining of the pandemic whenever I can. Um, one, of, one of which being I spend more time with my kids because they're at yeah. home. So, um, you know, so I think that, that there is a silver lining here, which is that, um, uh, not, not exactly you're answering your question here, but, uh, but there is a silver lining, which is that there were problems that everybody knew at some point we'll do this, at some point we'll do that. And it sped it up, you know? So that's- Absolutely,
0: happened. I agree. I mean, uh, in my coverage of EdTech over the years, uh, you know, we would go to these events and we'd stand around and, and wring our hands and talk about digital equity in this conceptual sense, like how do we solve this? Uh, and then when I started my reporting on on the shift in the middle of March, how we solved it was directors of technology were getting in their cars and driving and handing out hotspots to yep. kids who didn't have internet access. Yep. So that's how you solve the, the the digital equity problem to a degree. Yeah, there are other intangibles. Um, that are involved with that, just in terms of home life, and I've noticed other really interesting uh, trends to the recognition of social emotional learning and how important mm-hmm. that is, especially through the use of remote technologies. Um, I can give you an, ex- I can give you an yeah. example
1: on that. So we, um, so we work with a lot of school districts and uh, in, in, in states and such that the hotspots is a big thing, right? You got you got buses that they'll go park in you know in, in certain neighborhoods for Wi-Fi. They'll send them home with the uh, with Verizon or AT and T, you know. Uh, hotspots jetpacks whatever brand so we did a lot of that and one of the things that we had to build that was very important to us because like I said we have a state government contract we're trying to get the same level of quality of tutoring to every student across an entire state which is a hard thing to do right because if you have yeah. 200,000 students taking algebra 1 in the state to get every one of them the level of tutoring that you would expect from a private tutor uh, is, a, is a hard thing to do, but that's, that's what we work on. Well, one of the things we had to build, which is incredibly expensive, is offline video viewing, right? Where the students can go to school, download videos to their device, to their phone, any, any cell phone or computer. They can download that. They can go home where they have no internet in many cases. A lot of, you know, many poor students, rural students don't have high speed internet, of course, at yep. home. And they can watch those videos. But the hard part is not that. The hard part is, one, managing the space because the compression necessary is incredibly difficult because these phones they have are small. They're not the right. brand new iPhone that I have. You know, it's, it's, it's the really old $50 LG Android device from five years ago. So you have to compress your videos like crazy. And the other thing you have to do is when they come back to the internet, you need to sync up their data because the teacher wants to know the teacher reports. They wanna have reports on what their students were up to even when they were offline, right? And so that's a big thing that we did. I remember, I'll tell you, I remember why we did this because we had a teacher in Putnam County, Florida, which is a rural district. He said that he had a student who'd ride his bike every night to the bowling alley, sit outside the bowling alley and use his phone. He'd use the wifi from the bowling alley and he would watch the videos because we have all these instructors that he could learn all of you know, algebra one for his big statewide test at the end of the year. And he said, like, this kid rides his bike every day to the bowling alley, but the other students don't have that. They don't live near a bowling alley that has Wi-Fi, right? And so yeah. that was many years ago that we, that we decided to essentially solve that problem by doing that download. Well, now when we talk about that to people, we talk about offline video viewing, many people say, they're like, no, we have that figured out. Now we bought, we bought hotspots for all the students. We send them home. So, so I will tell you that, that some of the stuff that we've done, now obviously there's still some people using this feature, but the number of people that have solved this homework divide. Uh, not solved it, but at least put some put some money and effort towards it, maybe not solved, but close, yeah. is enormous. And I think that yeah. that's, and as you said, like it used to be, you know, there's 13,500 school districts and everybody's making up their own stuff, right? I right. mean, you know, not, not, not I don't make really it sound, you know, making it up like they're, they're doing something stupid, but, but everybody's on a different page and everybody's doing things differently. And there's, you know, you've got all these different contracts and the, the lawyers and the, all this mess. And so, unfortunately, because of that, people didn't work together as much as they as they as they could. And I do see now districts also partnering up, which is nice. You see small districts coming together because we got a pandemic we got to deal with. And so people are saying, you know, we were gonna have this PD session here, maybe we can invite the teachers from that district. Like we start to see people starting to put things together more that we didn't see before as well. So I think it you know, like any challenge in the world, it brings brings people together.
0: Yeah, and the districts starting to come to the realization that they as part of their responsibilities to be an internet service provider for their yes. students if they're going to be providing that sort of curriculum. Well,
1: and also one last thing I should tell you, we used to yeah. call all of the, on behalf, just not as part of our business, but we used to call all of the internet providers because they all say on their website, well, we have this program for low-income people. We have this program for, we have, but you know what? Honestly, every time we called, you get a voicemail and they never call you back. Like no. a lot of these were smoke and mirrors. I just totally. want to be clear. Like they were smoke and mirrors. I have no problem telling you that because it's the truth, right? Totally. So, so now, because people are calling them out on them, they're saying, well, wait a minute, where's that free internet you're supposed to be helping me out with? It, it, you know, uh, was it Justice Brandeis that said uh, that sunshine is the best disinfectant, right? Yeah. Like shining a light on this, and, and folks like yourself in the press that do this so well, like shining a light on these things happens to fix these things. And I think that the pandemic has shined a light on these things. The other, the other trend I can tell you to your, to your original question about what else you've seen that's been surprising our workbooks, printed workbooks, have been way more. Uh, Attractive and and in demand than we expected, hmm. so uh, so we print and ship maybe eight hundred thousand something like that workbooks to students in uh, middle school and high school math every year as part of being a core curriculum or as part of being a supplement for for a school district, and um, we thought well they're buying all these computers they're buying all these hotspots everybody's online they're not going to want them but it turns out when you're at home and you can't get to school you can't be sharing a textbook at school you can't have right. one textbook you know one classroom set of textbooks being used and so. We've actually put some really interesting programs together where in some districts, they can't distribute the workbooks very well, like they can't take the bus and drop off the lunches with the workbooks with the lunches. So instead, we're actually shipping individual FedEx ground to individual houses, in some cases for parents, because in certain districts, they can't come to schools because the pandemic is so bad in those places. So the logistics we've become, the logistical aspects that we have as far as workbook printing, workbook supply uh, to go along with the videos because every page has a video you can follow along but you can write as well so it's active learning. Um, that's been a very interesting thing is that people have, you think print is dead, right? But actually- I just gonna they, say that, yeah. Yeah, print is, so much, print for, is that. Dead. Yeah, yeah. So much for that. Yeah, that's
0: really interesting. Well, another one of the um, intangibles about this new lifestyle, work style of, of remote learning is kids having to sit at a, at a laptop and take a test, and have the ultimate temptation yep. of the world's library <laughs> yes. right next to them, right? Uh, so, and I've written stories about how collaboration is the new te- is the new cheating. Yes. <laughs> uh, and true. so you have all these different sort of dynamics that are going on there. Talk a little bit about your experiences with that, and how maybe has cheating accelerated yeah. or has it changed, or
1: yeah, Talk a little it, bit about that. Yeah, it's not, it's not fun to talk about. But the fact is that cheating has exploded. Um, you know, when, when students are giving a take-home test and they got a day to do it, there's a lot of websites out there. They can post it up online and pay somebody to give them the answers. Right. And, uh, and there's, there's literally millions of students doing that now. Uh, and that's a big problem. We actually set up anti-cheating.com as a website, as a resource to parents, a free resource to parents, because so many of them were asking us and teachers were asking us, how can we block all this cheating, right? And so, and distractions as well, cheating and distractions, which are somewhat similar in that they're yeah. both using technology devices and the internet, like you mentioned, they got the whole world's library and that can be distracting. So so some of the tips we give people is, first of all, you have to take away their cell phone. I mean, if your kid has a cell phone, you have to take that away because the push notifications coming in from Instagram and Snapchat and such are just too much of a distraction. You're looking at a device that has every one of your friends is in that, is in that phone. You know, like it's too yeah. easy to text them. So one is to take away the, the, the phone. The other thing though is to block You can easily block the entire internet and then open up specific school websites. And so on anti-cheating.com, we actually gave people instructions on how to do that with their routers or how to buy an app for $5 or $10 or something like that. Or Some are free, too. And we just gave parents and teachers the resources to try to prevent cheating. The other thing is that there's research that shows that if the students sign an academic honesty pledge, that just that, just that will get them to understand they just don't realize what's cheating they're used to collaboration they're used to using the internet they're used to looking things up and then you tell them oh on this particular hour of this day don't don't use those resources so to make that simpler for, for people we actually got an academic honesty pledge that people can download they can use as a sample really anything that teachers or parents could could use we try to supply whenever possible but um but yeah i mean the other tips that we that we give people is you know block the other sites not just because of cheating but because of the distractions like block yeah. you know Block the, what do they need to be doing other than uh, other than the schoolwork, right? There's very little that they should be doing on the internet. One thing you have to be careful is make sure you unblock your own work stuff. If you're working at home, make sure you do that. Right. You see people block the whole internet and then <laughs> not be able to figure out why they couldn't do their own work. Right. But, um, but those are the kinds of tips we give people. The other thing is just being present, being in the room. So for example, if you know that your son or daughter has a test coming up tomorrow at a certain time, just have them bring their laptop into, into your room or your you know, living room or whatever it is. Because when they're in their bedroom with the door closed, that's when high schoolers especially start thinking about, well, what can I get away with? The yeah. other thing is communication with teachers as always, just making sure you know what is a graded graded assignment, what is not a graded assignment. I mean, that's actually I think more vague and more gray for most students than people realize. So just making sure there's those boundaries and such, but, um, but yeah, we have a bunch of tips on anti-cheating.com and we, we, we invite, you know, parents and teachers to take a look at it.
0: Have you seen uh, a distinction between you mentioned high schoolers, especially high schoolers having to, I know what you're talking about. Um, but when it comes to the younger grades versus high schoolers, I mean, there are different techniques involved there or is there less of a worry when you're looking at,
1: Primary school, or are they learning how to cheat younger now? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so here's what younger students do. You Younger students, first of all, they don't have access to a credit card, so you know, hopefully. So they can't, uh, they can't go online and buy a lot of these things, right? So most of the things are starting to be behind paywalls, which is kind of a good thing if you have younger, younger students. So that's number one. If they know how to use Google, though, they'll, they'll be able to figure things out. What, what younger students do, though, is they wanna work with their friends, okay? They know how to text them, they know how to instant message them in different ways, whatever, you know, they're using Instagram, Snapchat, whatever they're using, uh, Facebook Messenger, et cetera. So when it comes to communication tools, I mean, they can always pick up their cell phone, right? If they yeah. have a cell phone. But the younger the student, the less access they have to technology, first of all. If they don't have a cell phone, it becomes much more difficult for them to cheat. They don't even really think about it. Um, but they will call their friend and think they can work together. Look, for younger students, it's usually just an issue though of them not understanding what the difference is between co- collaboration and cheating. Like you said, yeah. like, collaboration cheating is a very, it can be very gray for some students. Now look, having somebody write a term paper for you is clearly cheating, right? Mm-hmm. And and, and, you know, having a group project, you're supposed to work in groups and you're doing this all together, you're turning in a project and it's project-based learning, is clearly collaboration. But there's a lot of things in between that are, that are pretty gray on that. And so ultimately, it's just a matter of talking to the student, making sure they understand before you start blaming them for, for, for cheating. The other thing I should mention is, you know, we provide resources to, to schools and teachers and parents and all that kind of stuff, right? So if you don't give them the resources to learn, it's not reasonable to, to, to be upset with them for cheating. Right. Right. People turn to cheating when they don't have the ability to learn the material. The path of least resistance is where, you know, the electricity and the students will go. Right. And so it's just important to make sure that they have engaging, fun, exciting things that they can learn things, you know, make it real life examples, do whatever you can do to make school, uh, you know, more, more easy to use, easy to learn. All those types of things are important. And so you know, not to say that I'm just not you know advertising our company. When I say that, I'm saying whatever it is, the more that a parent is involved, the more that they have other resources, they can make it more fun for kids. The less that they're going to be looking for outside, you know, cheating resources.
0: Right. I mean, the responsibility still lies upon the the, the adults here, right? Yeah, I mean, so maybe we need to change uh, some instructional techniques. We need to change uh, the way some of this information is presented and assessed. I mean, you yeah. know, the, the the bubble tests and. We, we're, we're kind of running out of time, so I don't, I don't want to go there. I knew the toughest part of this conversation would be to end it, but let me, yeah. let me finish up with a, a question about uh, and again, as you said, silver linings. Um, this is my first podcast since the news uh, that their uh, vaccines have been uh, you know on the horizon. Yeah. Uh, and so the more I look at it and the more I talk to other folks, you know, maybe next fall could be normal or yeah, back hopefully. to normal, right? glass half full. Right. What parts of this experience do you think remain um, in terms of the asynchronous versus the synchronous communications, the Zoom meetings? Talk a little bit about what you think, well, what should remain uh, and and
1: then what in all likelihood will remain. Well, I think it's going to slingshot back more than most people probably think. Um, The the fact is, is that teachers are tired. They don't like this. You know, my sister-in-law is teaching her class in, in the room and then she's also on Zoom at the same time and trying to manage both at the same time. It's a disaster. you know. Yeah. 27% of teachers, according to a recent survey, said that they're very much thinking about retiring or leaving the classroom if the pandemic doesn't end soon. right? And so I think that was the, maybe the Illinois Teachers Union or someone did that, that study. And so I think the teachers are ready to get back to how things were. Now that said, there's going to be five or 10% of people that say, you know what, I'm going to keep this learning pod. I'm going to keep my kid at home. I'm going to go to homeschool and do this. I'm gonna, like They're going to permanently change because you know, they just see it better or they can afford it or whatever it is, they're gonna go that way. But for everybody else, for the vast majority of people, I think we're gonna end up pretty close to where we were before, except, except that people now they'll have these devices. Now the internet problems will have been solved to some extent. Now teachers will be able to say, you know, we wanna give you some homework for you to do home that involves technology. And now that all of you have a a level playing field, we can actually assign that. And so I think that we're gonna actually be, I think we're gonna be in a much better spot than we were before, honestly where teachers have more ability to use technology, they'll have the knowledge of how to use Zoom. If a student can't attend one day, they'll have some videos that recorded or they got from someone like us or something like that. They will keep those things going. I think that people will do things because they have to right now, but then they'll keep those things because they realize it is a nice benefit in the future. I think think that's where we're gonna end
0: up. Right, so so the things that are are most advantageous, not only for the student, but for the teacher, who's an essential part of this, right? I agree with you, and and, and i 'm hopeful that, um, as a parent I, I, I was saying this the other day, in the past eight months i 've had more interactions with my children 's teachers than in the past fifteen years right yeah. and it 's all because of this dynamic and the ability to communicate this way. It makes it easier for the teacher to have a one on one right
1: look as they say, if you must, you will right and, and yeah. the fact is is that we 've had to do this right we 've all seen it i 'll give you a great example we have in middle school math we have we have a family guide video for every single lesson, okay? There's over 400 lessons in middle school math, sixth grade, seventh grade, eighth grade. We have a parent-facing video that goes through the exact curriculum, shows on screen, here's what your child's gonna be learning, here's how you learned it, here's how they learned it, it's pretty much the same thing, but there's some differences, here's how it works, here's what they're gonna be asking you, here's the common misconceptions, and here's where you can go if you want to really learn this yourself to help them, right? But even if you don't, it's just understanding the basics of what they're talking about, right? Yeah. And you got a five-minute video to do that for every lesson, right? The, the teachers loved those videos before the pandemic because – you know, some some helicopter parents were bugging them too much, asking, what are you doing tomorrow? What are you doing tomorrow? I want to help. I want to help. Right. And now they're like, look, we have a video for, from great teachers that were filmed already of every single lesson showing you what page you're going to be on in the workbook and everything. Okay. So it kept, you know, some parents off the teachers back to some extent, but that was a minority of parents, right. They were, they were doing that. They were really, you know, fighting for their child and trying to help them as much as possible. Yeah. Now in the pandemic, more parents, because the you know, kids are at home, they care more. I don't want to say they care more, but something like they care more. We have to care more about what our students are doing in school. I'm the same way, I'm talking to my kids' teachers way more than I did before, same same thing. Going forward though, now that the parents are aware of these resources, I mean, look, we had these videos before, they were underutilized. Now they're being utilized like crazy, right? These, these, These family guide videos. So going forward, I'm sure parents will still use them, not to this degree maybe, but at least parents will be like, wow, it's not that hard to see what my student is up to. It's not that hard to interact with them. I've got these resources, you know, just people seeing what they've got. Uh, and what's out there, I think, is really beneficial. And so I think we're going to end up better because of it, you know? I mean, the education side, obviously, the pandemic is terrible for other reasons. Yeah. But but in this regard, I think we're going to look back five years from now and say, you know, it, it kind of sped sped time up by a couple years in a good way for EdTech.
0: Definitely. It's been the uh, – oh, I call it the, the, the greatest beta test in history, but it was also probably the greatest professional development workshop in history.
1: <laughs> right? Yeah, and I, you know, agreed. And economic – look – and every economist would tell you that recessions are good for the economy because what they do is they get rid of all these companies that probably shouldn't be around. You know, when, yeah. you, when things are good and everybody's building houses and everything's fine, you get a lot of scams going on, right? And the recession gets, it makes people like, you know, you find who's, who, you know, who should be around and who shouldn't, right? Yep. I think the pandemic is doing the same thing in education technology. Basically what it's doing is it's flushing out what works and what doesn't, right? And what's necessary and helpful and what's not. And when we come back, it's also changing budgets, right? Mm-hmm. So we have people coming to us for, you know, we do uh, $12 per student, per year with workbook with a color workbook and all your digital tools everything right and so people are saying you know our budget's cut they're taking a look at things they never took a look at before and like wait this is way more than we thought that we could ever get for this cost going forward like after the pandemic we're gonna have you know extra money now because we found other resources it's forced people to go and look for things like it's yeah. forced people to go and and do what they you know maybe should have been doing maybe didn't have time to do whatever it was maybe their boss was giving them the wrong you know the wrong objectives every day yeah. who knows but i think that the world is more knowledgeable and that's always a good thing right so i think it's going to be i think it's going to be interesting i think it's going to be exciting for us
0: yeah it's an it's an opportunity for for reexamination.
1: Yeah, yeah good way to
0: put it well ethan thank you so much for your time i really appreciate it uh we hit a lot of high spots there um and i and as i said before i knew the toughest part would be to uh, stop the conversation so uh, thanks again for your time
1: yeah, thank you for spotting all these all these crazy issues for parents and teachers. Very helpful. So yeah, thank
0: great, you. Great, thanks, and thanks everybody for uh, for watching or listening. However, you are uh, until the next episode. We'll see you then.